0: Hi, everyone. Tree again uh, for another installment of the Rat Cafe podcast where I, as the designer and administrative facilitator of this program that I designed, and the goal of the Rat Cafe curriculum was for Southeast Asians to talk about hard political things that are on their minds, topics of interest that they're invested in, and have space for them to freely and safely explore these topics. Another reason why this space exists is because there just aren't many spaces for Southeast Asians to politically engage. So this podcast series is for the active cohort members to talk about their experience with RACFA, their political journeys outside of it, and what kind of longings and hopes and struggles they have around politics in their identities in the world. I'm gonna, with all that said, I'm gonna hand it off to Delphine here to introduce herself. Hi
1: everyone, my name is Delphine DeFrank, I use she and they pronouns, and I am from the West Coast. I'm currently in the Pacific Northwest, I'm originally coming from Southern California for my background. And right now I am an educator. I went to school in the Pacific Northwest for my undergrad and continued for my grad school. And yeah, now I'm just like trying to figure out both uh, I, my background is mostly like in nonprofit as well as just higher education and K-12 alternative high school education. So trying to figure out where does that align with, I think, just like politics or in terms of like my introduction to Rad Cafe is that a good introduction? Do I need to come work? That was
0: great. No, that, that, lovely to the point that doesn't um, designate the state that you're in and um, for the, <laughs> necessarily, wait, did you say the state that you were in? No. Okay, great. I
1: thought I was from California.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, they could still be in California. Who do you know? <laughs> audience. <laughs> and I only, I only asked this because uh, for the audience, Delphin and I were talking about the thing about her name being very unique and how uh, to find them online. Um, and there was a little story that you shared with me. Um, I don't know if you wanna share that.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's funny. Cause I'm like, I tell my students too, cause I am an educator within a higher ed currently. And a lot of my like things like protected class come up like HR, whatever's right. Um, it's funny cause I will look at like for myself sometimes Um when I was an undergrad I would check and like like yeah, my name's pretty unique. There's not like a lot of other people like me. I would come up in some some articles for my alma mater and then I was like finding myself being searched on LinkedIn. So I would say like recently, um, like I was involved in like some protests, did get arrested, um, there's a lot of bookings and I like wasn't feeling a lot of the trauma yet or just like the post Trump like post traumatic stress of like being in jail and being jailed by the system right um because it was like a black lives matter protest um if anyone knows anything about the pacific northwest it is a very like white liberal space with like and or pockets of white liberalism and then like mostly l- largely conservative for a lot of other spaces so you also have like a lot of conservatives even within those c- cities and if anyone knows Andy Ngo the infamous <laughs> southeast asian i believe he's vietnamese um And he's in Portland. And like I saw him and a bunch of other conservatives looking at my LinkedIn profile. And I was just like, oh, my God, somebody noticed me (laughs) like the Andy Ngo recognizes me and blasts me out on Twitter of like, look who got arrested, even though on my like when I was getting booked and everything, like I'm sure he doesn't know that I'm also Southeast Asian. And I think he's a joke um, as a journalist. But it's just so funny. Because a lot of people like reached out to me and was like, "Hey, I saw that Andy Ngo also tweeted about you, Um and like your photo." Because they also had friends that were arrested and like saw, <laughs> they're like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm fine." But wow, Andy Ngo also tweeted about me and looked me up on LinkedIn to see if he could try to dox me. Hilarious! <laughs> so that's a fun story that I'm just like, "Who would have thought?" So popular.
0: <laughs> that's right. You've you've made it. <laughs> you've made a dolphin. You are now part of the um, the blacklist of. I don't know there's there's probably some kind of database for for people like you in the uh the in like the right wing viet Viet-no-sphere, or Southeast. probably mainly Viet because we're really in terms of southeast Asian ethnicities that care about this sort of thing, yeah we're pretty bad, yeah, and if anyone wants to know about andy you know how do you well his last name is pronounced n g o so wow n g o yeah I'm I'm being stupid right now. Just are you,
1: are you connecting the dots? Are you trying to make like a red line like conspiracy theory it up all over here?
0: Yes, I am. I am. <laughs> Andy no nonprofits uh vulture uh co-opting the movement something like that. It's, just, it's all triangulates. Um but Andy NGO and Man, that that could be like a persona for 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 like people who work in nonprofits. This is this is the Andy NGO. Um, he he likes like I don't know indie music, and he works at a nonprofit because he believes in that the, the we can change the system from within, and, or something like that. Which you know, we can. In I don't know. I don't know. I fucking know.
1: In different capacities, yeah, right. Like believes that believes in liberalism is also the model minority. Plays into the model minority myth and like but also wants to say that they're not like those other Asians and all of these things right I feel like I come across that so often with folks that like have especially Asian folks um East Asian and Southeast Asian right like the proximity to whiteness and they're just like oh I'm not like those other Asians but I'm also oppressed and it's like yes but also your fight is not with the white liberals but that's me
0: (laughs) They, they think it is because, like, we gotta fight the system from within, right? We gotta get white people on our side. I mean, I mean to an extent.
1: <laughs> to, to an extent. Yeah, no, it reminds me, and I think because we had this in our intake for our first Rad Cafe meeting, where I think one of the questions that you posed was, like, something about, like, interracial dating with, like, white people, and I was like, ah, uh, like, I feel that. <laughs> and I, like, it's hard because I've been in this relationship with a white person, like, they identify as trans, and like, they're also in the echelon of like whites um grew up like middle class upper middle class is also like a white british person so i'm like the key you know settler colonial i was like at least they're not french where i don't have a complex and like with that in terms of my like descendants right where my being lao where it's like at least i'm not being oppressed by a french person but yeah i remember that conversation like that conversation or that like question so well, because I'm like, I feel like where I am right now, I definitely if I started a new relationship, or if I was seeking relationships out now, I'd be like, yeah, I would definitely not date a white person. (laughs) But like, because I was much younger. And like, I know this white person kind of this white person kind of like grew up with me in terms of my journey. Their fragility has (laughs) already been destroyed in a way (laughs) where I'm like, I consistently and will consistently remind them that they are a white person. Like I'm also part white. And my proximity to whiteness is another thing that I have to unpack for myself, but I consistently like, by the way, you're racist. <laughs> by the way, what you said was anti-black. Um, You need to give your money monthly to, and I like do all these things where like, you need to give your money to people, like, and I'm trying to get them to like donate, but also like, that's a whole other thing of like donating to charities is just another aspect of capitalism. And that's, just, it's just all tiring.
0: <laughs> that's right. Say it, comrade. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, that's the tone. I, I don't. Delvin and I didn't really talk about like what what is language wise what we're allowing, but uh, I haven't checked in with my bosses totally yet. They haven't said no to profanity. They haven't said no to like um, harder left political language. So why not?
1: <laughs> I was like, it. put an explicit sticker, <laughs> like um, not, content warning, <laughs>
0: not for the triggered right or something.
1: <laughs> not for the triggered right. Um, if you want left-leaning children <laughs> have left-leaning children listen around <laughs> no to neoliberals
0: all the above yes well I'm, i appreciate you being um i don't want to get into too many tangents but my mind's always going to tangents of like first the first tangent was i i was gonna say i don't want to be frank but then my brain went to i don't want to be de- frank
1: <laughs> hey <laughs> that's that's it <laughs> you did it and the podcast now <laughs> listen to- <laughs> We just need
0: to get to that punchline.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, it'll come up organically again. Don't worry. <laughs>
0: yeah, better. um, <laughs> And then the next tangent in my head was that like, oh, so so the reason why I, uh, my brain went to that is because I have this Sagittarius stellium in my chart. Like I have a lot of Sagittarius. I don't know if that means anything to you, but like I just go to jokes, man. Always jokes.
1: I'm like I'm not super into or haven't learned a lot about the stelliums. I need to do more astrology things. I'm, like, the astrology person in my, like, friend group, even though I don't know that much astrology stuff. And they're just, like, tell, like I know the big three. I know how the Mars and, um, yes, Mars and Mercury impact kind of, like, folks' charts. But I have to do more learning, do, do more research on my end. But, yeah, Sagittarius. I feel like Sagittarius are always, like, dad joke people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. You, oh, I feel so cold out
1: <laughs> I was like, I blame, but I also blame my dad. My dad's a Sagittarius. So I'm like, he's also just like, he's a Sagittarius son, I'm pretty sure. And he's just like, very much like, leans into that really heavy.
0: I'm so sorry, Delphin. I'm so sorry for the pain that we've caused you. <laughs> uh,
1: so, no, it's fine. My dad's white. So I can, that's a different processing thing.
0: That's right. Blast him. Blast him. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> Only melanated male people can make dad jokes and not be blasted. Let us get away with it. We don't get to laugh often. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> Nothing. It's your, it's your coping. Yeah. I'll let, I'll, I'll let it pass.
0: And you don't have to like learn about astrology stuff. I, I, the thing I recommend to, I mean, it's fun. Like you, you learn the language and you get to talk with people who are like into it. What I've been recommending and, and quickly a uh, language thing for folks, a uh, uh, stellium, I think what i recall it just means like you have many like at least three of the same sign in your chart so i just oh. like i have a lot of sagittarius and that's what people mean when they say they have a whatever stellium
1: yeah when i say research i mean like mostly social media brain absorption <laughs> like not not any in-depth research because i feel like i've had this conversation before where it's like i i also really like astrology it's fun to like just identify with things like identity exploration is always fun it can get a little fascist if it's like used by white people I find or like especially queer white people they're like oh you're such a blank and I was like I'm multifaceted and I don't need you as a white person to tell me who I am but like let me talk with other black and queer like black and brown queer folks and like this is more fun because I think nobody takes it seriously at that point
0: astrology should not be prescriptive right I mean it's fun to see like oh yeah there's some alignment and and stuff but it should not be used as like you are you. You have this, therefore you are this type thing, and it's good, yeah, to have kind of like a loose grip on it to be like, oh yeah, it's it's just it's just good social fun feeling of belonging.
1: Yes, I was like, I believe in connectedness. I believe in the stories.
0: There's also the element of like, eh, man, this this tangent. This isn't even related to like what I what I was gonna say when I was like, I'm going to be de <laughs> This is, like this is totally like not even part of what I was gonna say in to follow that. So. But before I get to back to that, I just tell people to like download the pattern, which is an app that you can just punch in your stuff, but they don't, you're not required to know about like any of the placement stuff or any of the signs in order to, for the app to tell you stuff about, to, to give you like readings. Um, so I just tell people, yeah, if you want to use astrology in a way that's like easy for you to understand, that doesn't use all this language, it uses like common language, download the pattern. I think it's great. Do you use the pattern?
1: I've downloaded it. I feel so like I think those are the two apps that people recommend right is Pat the pattern and then CoStar and CoStar is very aggressive <laughs> and I'm like this is a lot <laughs> like there's a lot of like energy coming for me right now so I like I think I disable the CoStar notifications mostly because I like to see what my other friends charts are. Um, and then the pattern, I feel like, is very mystical in a way, and it kind of like is also kind of off-putting to me for some reason. I don't know. I have, I guess, I just like to me they're like kind of two opposites, and I I'm off-put by both of them, but use them for some reason.
0: I I feel you for both. I'm uh, for what you describe with both. Ghost art is pretty <laughs> like what did you say aggressive? Like
1: yeah, I was like aggressive comes from my throat a little bit sometimes, and I was like, there's a lot of energy for. 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I need you to (laughs) reel it back a little bit, co-star.
0: I feel that. And for the pattern, yeah, it is is a little mystical. Sometimes, lately for me, it's been like a little too on the nose. Maybe in that way, it's kind of mystical. Like, I just feel like, wow. What? (laughs) What? I'm learning so much. I am like, I am getting such instructive readings. That's like really helping me frame some of the, many of the dilemmas that I'm going through right now. But also uh, the opportunities. I'm like, okay, I'll lean into this thanks yeah. let me let me get back to the thing i was going to be frank about it just won't stop i'm gonna i'm gonna pile this into the ground until you're like tree your your melanin license is revoked you you have abused. <laughs> <laughs> or your maleness is, is showing up way too much right now you gotta you gotta stop it okay what was i gonna be frank about
1: <laughs> yes ma'am what are you what are you trying to be frank about <laughs>
0: okay let's see and and just for the audience he they she are fine for me they're all they're all great why is my shoulder hurt i got this booster another
1: fucking tangent
0: (laughs) (laughs) you're just so comfortable going on tangents (laughs) i really am look here um the astrology stuff is good like i my first recording with the rat cafe folks i was talking with hc they and i were talking about astrology for the first like 20 minutes or not just astrology also rat cafe but then like, at some point, I was like,
1: I'm sorry, everyone, this is just becoming an astrology <laughs> podcast. There's no, there's no politics at all. There's no, unless you combined all of it.
0: Political astrology. That's where the fascism comes in. We're going to just like mm. say everyone's this and we're getting rid of all the, um, what's, what's a hated sign? Okay, we're not doing this.
1: I was like, this feels uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, I was like, but, uh, there was like a TikTok because- Someone was like, I'm a Virgo. So I created this spreadsheet of all the like US presidents <laughs> and like what repeated side, like their sun signs at least, and like what showed up the most. And I was like, this is actually really interesting. I am not a Virgo rising, or I don't have a lot of Virgo. My most of my earth, I have like no fire in my chart at all. I have like water. And Earth and like maybe one or two air. Yeah, no, it was really interesting because I was like, oh, it seems like a couple of Pisces. But I think it was like, I forget what was like. And like, I've seen that trend a lot too with like serial killers or like, what's the number one sign? Or like, what's the number one dictator sign? And I think like Taurus was like, dictators are usually Tauruses. And I was like, ooh, (laughs) that's a little scary. (laughs) As a Taurus rising.
0: Damn, that's wild. Are you, Hmm. I know that several of like, I know marks and, was it angles and uh lennon were were taurus sons and i don't know if like from your source if they would have lumped them into that (laughs) i I haven't verified this but that a lot of scorpios scorpios gemini's and there's probably one more sign that like gets that become presidents or become like heads of state a lot um because like those are the the power hungry ones the ones that like want the attention of a lot of people trump is a gemini is what i hear and uh Narendra Modi in who leads the Hindutva movement and whatever in India, he's a Scorpio son. But then like you have to look at the rest of the chart. My arm hurts so much. It just like started hurting a lot. I I got a booster shot for Pfizer the other day because I work. That has me like going to houses and stuff. Or that's what that was my excuse for getting it while I was like at, at Costco. I was like, okay, I'll get this booster shot. Oh, you need to have like a reason. Okay, I guess this is my reason.
1: I was like, Did you do windmills in the pharmacy?
0: You <laughs> <laughs> Just like
1: <laughs> That's what I did. I like legit. I was like, maybe this is like a I don't know. I feel like I'm a millennial, like, Gen Z cusp. I don't I don't know who I really am. What are generations besides white ways of, like, defining culture? But I was, like, doing, like, large windmills and, like, the Rite Aid. And, like, these, like, older people are just like, what is happening?
0: I guess these older people also didn't get their shots because if they got their shots, they know exactly what's happening. Exactly. Um, actually, I may have misunderstood. At the Rite Aid, were you getting a shot or what was that? Yeah, I was
1: getting my COVID okay. shots.
0: Yes, I was like making sure that was the key piece. At this point, I forgot what I was gonna be frank about, so I'm gonna just just.
1: It's like watch you remember towards like after this recording's done.
0: <laughs> it definitely, truly, I think that's what will happen. Um,
1: you're gonna message me on Discord, and you're like, ah.
0: <laughs> how does one col- Okay, how
1: do we collect ourselves after all that?
0: So political journey was so. Oh yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, you you were talking about um being being able to share uh your. Um, relationship with whiteness and ha- and the start of rad cafe but i had an intake meeting in a group forum with um, several of the members i had three different ones with about four or five people in each group and i had a list of questions and prompts for us to kind of look, just like discuss as a group um, in each of the groups and one of the questions that dolphin brought up was i had to be precise about this phrasing or else i i would it's hard to bring up pol- personal stuff into politics right even though people there's a phrase like the personal is political there are just some personal things that are, like, really hard to bring up unless that person themselves is bringing it up. And one thing is, like, the idea of interracial dating, especially if it's it includes white people. Yeah, I, I appreciate your candor in bringing it up because I feel like in a lot of spaces, it's... Look, I'm a male-presenting person. Uh, I have lived my life mostly as male, and, like, me bringing up the question can be very... Hi-ya! And um, <laughs> there's a political aspect to the question, right, of can you smash the cis-hetero-capitalist patriarchy if you're intimately involved with someone like that and like a lot of the people said yeah i mean there there's room for it i was curious to see like what is the great it's not like a yes or like hard yes or no it's like what is the great gradation like what are the things that can be difficult to if that's a goal and goal you have of smashing the xyz while you're like i know i love this person right i know they're great people i want to be in good relationship with them and this stuff
1: Right, And I think I was like the yes and because it's always like a yes and conversation, right? It's never just like a yes, no. (laughs) Like, I think nothing is ever that binary as you named earlier. Because yeah, it's just like how comfortable and I think like that's gonna happen for a lot of folks, especially I say byproducts, like it's like byproducts of like socialization, right? Or like byproducts of like, not saying that people are products. I mean, capitalism says that. But <laughs> me being a personal product of that, right, of, like, my father being a white person, my mom being an Asian person. But her being a migrant, her relationship and, like, navigation of that was very different than, like, my navigation of it, which is, like, as a as someone who's never been from the homeland, doesn't know the struggles, right? Like, my mom being a migrant isn't, like, a direct result of the Vietnam War. as like, other Lao people or other Hmong people that are currently in the U.S., it's more of like a, and I named this earlier, I think in a conversation with you, trio of like, my mom was just like, I don't like communism or like, I don't like how it's functioning in the like 90s. I think once, what is it? People were like the fall of communism, the fall of the USSR in the 1990, whatever. I was like, I'm not a history buff, but she's just like, I'm going to come to the US because I can get sponsored. And like, there's a privilege to that too, a little bit with her position or positionality. Um, but yeah, but she was also like, struggling to get a US citizenship here and like a lot of times right for people or I feel feel like people that are non-white it's easier to just marry or I guess like non-white and not like non-US citizenship bearing folks right it's just easier to just marry somebody and somebody in the US to get that it's easier like that's an easier process than like having to go through a job and get that visa and then get that approved right depending on the job that you have because it's so much easier for folks in STEM to do it than folks that are just, like, doing, like, blue-collar jobs, right? So we're just doing, like, labor work, which is a lot of, I think, migrants that come to the U.S. Her idea, right, and I feel like this happens to a lot of folks, was, like, I'm going to marry a white person because what I know of the U.S. is white people live here instead of the large diversity that exists. with Like, like there's a lot of diversity in the U.S., um, or, like, pockets of it, right? And I think maybe she recognized it, because now I'm, like, processing... I had a cousin who also wanted to come to the U.S., but my mom connected to a Khmer Lao person to get them because they had a U.S. citizenship, and she's like, "Marry this brown person, right?" and like make that connection because then you'll have more in common. Which I think she's recognizing, like, and I think she talks about it like that's another thing that's a little bit toxic about my mom. She'll like badmouth the other parent, or like she'll badmouth my dad. Which I'm like, yes, he is a white person. You sh- we should badmouth white people because they just don't get it a lot of the times but i think she's can be a little bit delusional in like the ways that she interfaces and i think that's just a lot of trauma that she's faced so i think processing and unpacking that conversation right where especially if as someone who is mixed race i say multiracial or biracial of like white and lao what does that mean especially me being visibly brown and not perceived as white I never get perceived as white unless I go to the home country, right? Where they're like, "Oh yeah, you're obviously mixed with something," <laughs> but like in the U.S., it never gets perceived that way, and I think that largely impacted like how I perceive other things, right, or how I perceive politics and what my place is in that, and like recognizing my proximity to whiteness.
0: Well, I'm I'm so I'm um, grateful that you were willing to share even more around that your family history and how that's um, shaped. Uh, your views around this, and a little bit about your mom. Um, Would you be willing to share? You said something about her positionality. I'm not sure if you had more to say about that.
1: I was like, her positionality, just meaning like a lot of her identities or like intersection of identities, right? And I think this is a thing with a lot of either, like if your parents go through war or like war-torn country or like times of strife, right? I feel like they're more hesitant to share that information until later in their life with you. Um, Where they're just like, well, I have nothing to lose (laughs) or like this isn't going to potentially traumatize my kid, even though I'm like, it's still a little traumatizing to hear that you or not traumatizing, but like interesting, I guess also to hear like her brother was like also largely involved with the Russians when like communism was becoming popular in the in Laos. So like she also has a lot of land and like her positionality or privilege in the home country is a little bit different than I would say, like, other ethnic minorities in Laos, because ethnic, like, there are a lot of ethnic minorities in Laos, um, and then she's just, like, a lay Lao person, also Buddhist, right, like, has some animistic, um religious traditions, but also has, like, she tells me, like, yeah, we have land in Laos, and I'm like, what does that mean? Why do we have land there, and why didn't you stay there if that was going to be better for you, or, like, what I perceive as better, right, like, sometimes I just want to expat, and, like, Go back, but I don't know Lao at all. So that's another process where I'm just like, okay. And then what would my privilege be going back to that country, right? Because like her positionality in the home country is different, or gets perceived differently, or like it's in a different context, right, than compared to the U.S., where I think a lot of folks like get racism, right, when you're not not when you're facing a lot of diversity, or facing a lot of white supremacy, or a lot of white people, as opposed to a more homogenous society. Not saying that, like, racism won't exist at all there, but...
0: Because, like, race doesn't exist as a construct there. Yeah, just present. Yeah. Mostly around, like, foreigners, right? Unless there's, like, a lot of media, like, U.S. media, like, portraying whites in this way and non-whites in this way, then sure, it could be, like, ex- the racism could be exported there, but it does it didn't exist there. And to the point of, like, diversity here um, in the, in the U.S., because, like, yes, numbers-wise, there could be, there's, like, a spread, but for the most part we know that non-white people are usually poorer unless they're like Northeast Asian people, like you said, coming from STEM H1B visas migrating here um, versus people who were um, subjugated economically and socially here for like generations. So like the class component is a huge thing when it comes to whatever we, whenever we talk about diversity in the States and yeah, um appreciate you naming the, the aspect of land ownership and what you talked about with would it have been better for her to stay there versus here, because like, even if you're, you're doing good here, if you have the opportunity to do even better, whatever that means, like, why not take it, right? Because people who live in Asia, they have, like, good whatever, they move to the U.S. Because it's like, oh, my God, I don't know, just more more stuff, more, why not more? Yeah, and, and the question of, like, going back, because, um, as yourself versus as your mom. Because um, HC and I, in the first Rack Cafe podcast recording that you'll be able to listen to once they're out, I mean, their topic of focus was, like, Viet. U.S. expat going Viet VQ going back to Vietnam, creating this art scene. They didn't necessarily gentrify things because, like that, has its own things that you you can hear about in the in the call I had with them with HC. But yeah, they just come back and they don't really have a relationship with the locals there, and they're just kind of like creating this kind of insular art scene. So it's like it's very it's very fraught the whole like children of immigrants, their relationship to the homeland, and but then also the parents if they came from relative, non-poor status or, like, non-bottom-class like status there, which is a lot of diaspora to the states. Anyways, to be able to afford to get here, you know, or whatever that means.
1: Yeah. I was like, it's a lot of... I forget who coined Boba liberalism, but, like, that's what I feel is, like, the victimization of, like, oh, well, I don't really really belong anywhere. And, like, yes, not really belonging to a space or things. Like, those feelings are valid. But, like, what is that rooted in at the end of the day of, like, you not... what is the entitlement, right, to needing to feel like you belong in a space that, because, like, it's okay to shift. I think that's the other thing, right, where it's like people are so hesitant to, like, change, which change is, like, tiring, too, but having to create something new is so tiring, and they'd rather just go back to what something was, or, like, wanting to victimize themselves, and, like, well, it used to be, like, this way, or I still get oppressed in this way, and it's like, okay, but then what is the other aspects of consciousness that you're not being aware of right like you named earlier like what is the social class what is your ability to not be in the home country anymore is a privilege of social class right and then you have like your citizenship thing like the fact that you were able to go to another country and like whether you have like a U.S. passport now or I think about it with my partner which like they have like three fucking or three passports and I'm just like that's so mind-boggling to me (laughs) and I'm like I just have my one and I think my mom had to give up her Like Lao one in order to get a US one they have like an Irish and a British one and a US one and I'm just like why is it so easy for white people to just get a bunch of these passports but that's a little bit of a tangent
0: I think we can explain why
1: (laughs) I think we know I just don't want to name it because then I'm like I just get sad about it
0: so so actually yeah no the political journey stuff so you talked about um, your relationship with race at least with the prompts and I want to hear about like when what kind of things got you to be more thoughtful and conscious about politics in relationship to yourself?
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm like, I feel like I wasn't super, and this is, it's funny because in my position now, I, my title is like student representation and governance advisor. So like where I am now, and like if we, I did a backwards timeline, right? Like it's very much rooted in what does leadership look like and how? Because I, I'm a large like I'm a very large advocate of like leadership can look like can look different, right? Leadership isn't necessarily like you have a title. This is a leader. I I'm very much like hey, and I say this because I did not interview um for a, like a grad student's um thesis or like internship practicum process. And they asked me these questions of like, "Are do you think you're a good leader? And I straight up was like, no, like in the context of like whiteness and like how we define leadership in the U.S., I've never found myself as a good leader. Like I like to collaborate, right? Leaders in the U.S. make decisions that aren't fully holistic and are kind of like, well, we need to make a decision, which like it can happen, like not to say that it doesn't happen and like when you collaborate with other things, like, at the, end de- at the end of the day, decisions do have to be made, but, like, what is the experience of leadership? Who is defining that experience of leadership? And a lot of the times, it's, like, you had a title, you made decisions, that is leadership and you manage people, right? Like, I think that's how people define leadership as. And I was just, like, no. <laughs> like, I, a lot of my undergrad, I was, like, I worked collaboratively with, like, 10 other people to do culture nights, to do large events, right? I don't think I've ever named myself or recognized that so recognize that work as leadership. And that's just like in terms of politics. <laughs> a lot of my politics is informed by like nonprofit work which as we named earlier <laughs> kind of problematic I say kind of very problematic in terms of who is doing that leadership, who is naming that they're doing that leadership and what does that work actually end up looking like or is it just performative at the end of the day, right? Or are you just bringing in a check? Are we just perpetuating a cycle of that, like someone's drowning, but I need to pay my bills, and I get paid so that people are drowning? Like that never, that cycle will never be broken within capitalism, right? So I feel like a lot of my politics or journey is like rooted in trying to figure out what does a liber, liberatory space look like, and is that even possible within our lifetime? I feel like there's a lot of times within leadership or just even within politics, there's As we know it today, this is a very U.S. specific thing that I think about, right? Um, Being someone who is in the U.S. is just like, or grew up in the U.S., right? Like, I don't think it exists within the government that, or structures that we're within, right? I don't think it can ever be done. But then what does that look like on a grassroots level? What does it mean when we have civic engagement on a local level? Why is that even more important, or should be more important? I want to, I'm not going to try to project that it is more important, um, but I don't know. To me, it is. But then also organizational theory speaks to people have power and then that power trickles down, right? Or it's supposed to trickle down. What power actually exists? I think it's just stress. (laughs) And then the stress trickles down to other people and then people at the bottom, right, are most impacted by the less power that they have before that. Like, my undergrad, I feel like I wasn't as politically involved because I just moved to Oregon. I was very much rooted in California. I feel like a lot of my politics is very much rooted in, like, what is the context that I'm living within? Because I, California, I was like, brown, also a lot of racism, but the racism is more direct. Moved to the Pacific Northwest. Racism is still here, just a little less direct, and they're not going to tell you up front to your face about it. And I think a lot of people experience that passive-aggressive, like, leadership, racism, all of the oppressions, Right. Where it's like, we want to say, and I think that's a very common thing today, right? Where people get called out and they're like, we want more leadership. We want more diversity. And I say diversity in quotes, right? Because it's like, what does diversity look like is one thing. And then what is actual diversity, And that's like, and once again, I hate buzzwords, I get very tired. There's this terminology within higher ed, and I think it's catching on to like corporate of like DEI work, right? Or ADEI work, accessibility, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's just like, these things are words, especially equity. Equity is such like a business oriented term. So you're applying that to leadership and politics. Doesn't make sense. Or like, I mean, to politics in the white sense, like makes sense, right? Because capitalism is very much entrenched in our politics today, it's just very tiring. And like, so going back to like what does diversity look like and like what can diversity actually be? It's a whole other conversation that needs to be unpacked. I'm like very tired by like HR and like the other thing of like protected class and like yes protected and that's another thing of like unions and like protected class, all of these things that are supposed to help protect people or keep people safe, especially those are that are historically marginalized in the US, don't end up actually helping them. like they say they do. Like I think about unions, right? And it's like, I'm pro-union, but I'm also not pro-white people that are leading those unions. Because then that, you just end up having people stay within unions and they're protected, but and you can't get them out if they say something racist, right? Or if they do harmful things to like LGBTQ people, right? I see that in education all the time where it's like a faculty member will say the N-word and because they're tenured and they're unionized, You can't get them out and they're protected and then even within k through 12 a teacher can be like largely racist to this and work in a very diverse school but then not get removed because they're protected by a union so yeah in terms and then all of that in a nice i guess box or a gift um i don't know how to wrap that up cleanly but i feel like i never was fully involved in politics i just knew like my parents politics I also thought I was a white person growing up all the time. And then as I became more self-aware and learned a lot about my learning edges and learning about other people's perception of me and their learning edges, like how does that inform largely, how is that going to inform policy as we know it today? Cause I feel like I always have this friction of like, we're working within a system, but also I don't want to work within the system because as I said earlier, like I want to be liberated, but what does that liberation look like? That's like I think the ongoing journey for me, at least.
0: No worries about like messiness or not having like a a, a bow to wrap everything with. Like, n- n- <laughs> we're deep in the deep in the weeds around this, and it's going to be very messy and dirty and not clear. So, I appreciate you bringing up the point about like the union unions protecting like really. I can't just say bigoted because there's something un- something else going on. Because when I think about working class politics and like w- white working class people like if those white working class people are racist against other non-white working class people then you are against your own class um you are you are like actively discriminating against people of your own class but there is no class politics there's just people protecting their own interests like neoliberal shills or anyways but that's a lot of buzzwords even more like left terminology or phraseology can can be co-opted into buzzword stuff that hmm, we gotta be be careful about like but yeah lots of not not that i'm saying you're doing it it's like <laughs> into that territory real fast
1: yeah no sometimes i was like <laughs> so, there was i think i met someone like mentioned like activism in our discord chat of like and someone was like using activism also as like a platform to like sell something or like when activism gets co as we can see in so like media, right? Activism gets co opted as like this fun trendy thing, and it's like I think I named like sometimes things need to be gatekept. <laughs> sometimes we need a gaslight gatekeep girl boss.
0: That's right. It's not the tool itself that's wrong. It's um whether we're using against the correct people and agents of bad things. So <laughs> is actually maybe I should actually think about this what I'm about to say before I like say it. But who knows the. the Audience, don't take me seriously when I when I say gaslight bad people. I I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was like, sometimes bullying bad people works.
0: <laughs> but then, who are you? Who gets to decide like bad people? I mean, like there, there could be like I mean, historically, people who we think as bad have said that we are bad for their are, we are a threat to them, so they get to bully us because we are a threat to them. And circular logic or
1: whatever. It's out of fear. All of these things. All of these cycle of socializations. Right like they're bad they're a threat to me because of fear because of all these things and that's what I've been told right that's what the institutions told me that's what my parents told me uh breaking cycles is hard
0: agreed and so when you went you said that at the start of your your response to the question of like how politics started to enter your life you talked about in undergrad um this kind of conflict between an idea of leadership that you didn't think that you fit or at least in like the um productivist capitalist values and I I wonder was there like a moment or or like a series of moments or spaces that you were in that kind of turned up the heat for you in terms of engaging with politics
1: politics were definitely like slowly integrated or like how I interacted with them were slowly integrated
0: it doesn't have to be uh I I didn't want to stretch too much of them I also said like space like if you were in certain uh, social groups or or like uh, classrooms Mm -hmm. or or other things that over time you were like or online spaces that you're kind of soaking things in over time
1: yeah, I was okay. I was like, I think for that it was definitely like my roommate, Um, which is so funny to think about. Uh, I'm like the picture. I'm a, what is it called the golden child or photo child for um, poster child, poster child. That's what poster child for like student affairs, right? <laughs> Where it's like, ah, uh, yes, I interacted with my roommate. And they were all they were like, very pro communist. <laughs> very like, and I was just like, Oh, I don't really know. I'm like, I was kind of like my first person and they were like also multiracial um they're like turkish and white and we both connect like we both connected because we're like yeah being multiracial and also from california and then coming up to the pacific northwest is very different and they're very like pro-communist i followed uh, i'm gonna date myself i followed them on tumblr (laughs) and like they would post right a lot of um communist things or like anti-capitalist things which is like very like that was my first kind of like introduction i think to like be critically thinking more about these things and like therefore like exploring I say exploring I really hate that term exploring but like unpacking um my identities and like am I actually straight right am I actually like a cisgender woman or am I more like do I not really care about my gender and just as long as it's not masculine um and like I think with that kind of like introduction to Because I would say like in Southern California, the space that I grew up in was very much like Christian, Catholic, very heavy, even though I grew up also Buddhist in the same vein, that was more seen as like a, not a religion, like yes, religion, but it was more taught as like a values or perceived as a values thing. So that's kind of why both Buddhism and Catholicism were like hand in hand when I grew up, because it's like you can have Buddhist teachings and then also learn from Catholicism which I was not the biggest fan of um but like I took more of the Buddhist side and like continue to follow that today right so like I think being more critical with that roommate and like and we ended up being roommates for like two years right of like continuing to be like how does being communist and then what does that mean for community organizing right and like how does that look like on campus how do we find our people um that's kind of I think that's where it started. So poster child for go to college and you'll learn things but also recognizing that not all learning has to exist within academic spaces because I would say I definitely didn't learn these things when I was in academic space if anything I was more critical when I was in an academic space and things were brought up like oh my god I remember taking this like war and terrorism class and they're talking about like who's buddhist largely and it was a largely like white class and like all the people of color sat in the back because we were just tired and the professor was white and they're like, who's Buddhist? And it was like me and these three other Southeast Asian kids. And the professor was like, uh, yes, talk to us about Buddhism. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is so annoying. Like if this was like a different way, right. Then I wouldn't like, if this, if critical race theory or like all of these things were more embodied into pedagogy and how does pedagogy inform Politics because it was a polit- political science class, and they're like, "How do these things inform? Like, how does religion inform practices? How does what does terrorism look like? All these things." So, in terms of politics, like, there's so much that goes into it, and I know a lot of people are like, "Identity politics, blah 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 blah," but it's like that's how else are you doing your politics, right? Or to me, like, white people cry identity politics, and it's like that's because what has become norm for you is just politics they've always either seen themselves or have been informed and dominated that conversation so like civic engagement as we know it today is very passive vote for these people right get involved into your very white supremacist government and I'm just like that's not for me boo or like how do in my role current today right how do I support students to not think like solely on what White governance looks like in the US. Did that answer your question?
0: <laughs> I think so. No, no, yeah, yeah. You start out, the, the roommate one was a, a clear, like, specific example, which is good. And then, like, leading into the rest of your, like, undergrad experience, trying to preserve yourself um, in those spaces where you're not learning as much as, like, outside the curriculums about, like, more political stuff that isn't, like, kind of being shoved down your throat. The last thing that you, what you just said, sorry, I run back. The last thing that you said to me?
1: Supporting, in my role, I think, like, supporting students of, like, not to have them only think about what does government look like. Because we just, I was like, I was kind of annoyed. And this is a thing where it's like, I go to a public institution, right? And I am in charge of, like, the Office of Civic Engagement. And they're like, yes, we have a voting hub. There's, like, a mandate in my state that's, like, we are required to have a voting hub on campus, which is great for accessibility, but then, like, not everyone votes. Because legally, right, or legally cannot vote whether they're undocumented or have mixed status, right, or are in prison, right, or are in jail and can't vote, like, there's a lot of limitations. So I'm, like, like trying to help with the student governance aspect of, like, your vote matters. Yes, if you can are eligible to vote, but then also what does that look like outside of what we normally think of for civic engagement, which is, like, voting, right? Like, I feel like voting is what everyone thinks about, and I'm just, like, I'm tired. There needs to be more done. <laughs>
0: There does. And sadly, the incentive structures to get people to like demand that sort of thing is warped, right? Because for people to for things like that to exist for other alternative kind of pedagogies around like how we think about governance, people need to see the value of that. And then they have to like demand it just like for people to see that even democratic socialism is viable at like a national level. You have it almost required us to have a Bernie type figure to to, like get people riled up. Um, and to like go out and learn and see the, understand the value of this and then demand it for themselves. Um, and so like the incentive structures to motivate people to like demand, to, to ask for that aren't always there for, you know.
1: And it's like more white people, right. To like get that incentivization. Cause like Bernie is still a white person, like a white Jewish person, but it's still a white person. So it's like, we're incentivizing, but then what does that direction or push look like and who's doing that direction and push? like and this is where like having a white ally is helpful right but then it's also like but it can't just only be that person
0: so let's see so it was a uh, yeah the roommate situation of (laughs) it's funny that you mentioned like the 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 post child for um student affairs stuff that's (laughs) yeah you know it's good to have roommates or I I think it's good I, I personally don't want to ever live on my own I always want to have like one person who I can like if we're passing each other, even just like in our apartment unit, I want to be like chill with them or be able to strike up conversation with them. And I, because I want to have like differences of opinion, have good conversations. And I think like, yeah, having roommates or whatever who aren't like from your friend group can really expose you to new ideas, communism, I guess, and, and other things (laughs) like, who would have (laughs) thunk? And, and then like, I wonder if there are ways for us to have that sort of structure Elsewhere, right? Because we know, like, algorithms. We live in an era of algorithms where we just get stuck um, in this in our little cultural, w- social whirlpools of hearing the same stuff um, reinforced for ourselves. And then, like, are there ways to have like roommates, randomly selected roommates, outside of colleges where you are forced to like be with people who don't share your views directly or whatever? Yeah.
1: It's an interesting concept, right? And I know that like there's some I was like, remembering when I worked at my nonprofit, there are like pockets of it or pockets where they're trying to do that. Like, um, I think Bridge Meadows is a nonprofit that exists in the Portland metro area where they bring in like, all like groups of families into this like community. So like, they'll have a lot of older people and then they'll have like families with children and they're like all within this like community and they all kind of like look out for each other and they have that they also they incentivize in a way like the organizers or just like the folks supporting this community are yeah um it's like a mixed family situation right where it's like you have older people caring for the little ones if like the adult like the in, I, in an ideal world where we don't have nuclear families like that's what would happen right so like I wish that was more I think like available like And I think Bridge Meadows does it for, like, low-income folks, right? Like, that's who they're focused on, which, like, it's very much needed, right? And then how do we have that? I don't know. Part of me is just, like, yes, have it for, like, other groups of people who are on a similar, like, learning level or open-mindedness. But I'm also, like, (laughs) I know that there will be pushback just because what does it mean to kind of, like, treat people as, like, your learning lessons? So things that I'm processing.
0: That last part is a, is huge, right? <laughs> the, uh, as much as we want people to have their learning curves pushed, or we want people to be not necessarily comfortable, but not feel threatened when they're like at their learning curve, um. But there's also the aspect of like, okay, what's are we at risk of using people to get to like open people to new ideas and experiences and thoughts? That's huge, and I am glad that you brought up this bridge meadows place. I, I've been thinking about yeah the multi generational. There have been programs that are trying to get Elderly people would be would um, allow like younger folks to like live with them and like do chores for this for um, in in exchange for housing for like discounted housing, and so cool stuff to to dig into. And I want and we'll have to set that for another time. Yes, shift lanes into the Rat cafe stuff. Maybe oh well, actually the nuclear family idea is is interesting as well because nuclear families are themselves a kind of algorithm of like you find someone like you are matched like you match with and then you have kids where you like borrow down your thoughts and patterns to them sometimes they'll reject them sometimes they won't and i was going to tie this back into like the idea of like enclaves like ideological enclaves or people who just like have their own value systems and then like nuclear families only allow you to have like these things and this these are the neighborhoods that have these value systems these are the ones that like um only have these and then they perpetuate within themselves yeah if we could like decentralize or whatever the verb is for nuclear families then we would have more room to like pollinate ideas and values that aren't just whatever is useful to the productivist foundation of the nuclear family where you're just not producing kids to have them be in the labor force or whatever
1: yeah no it's very weird to think about like we have children or we're expected to have children and i'm like i feel like i'd be a cool like auntie i think it'd be fun it's. I feel like that's at least the trend that I'm seeing. A lot of folks are just like, not anti children, but like anti having our own children. Um, if like we can make the decision, if we can make that decision right, because uh, it's just like there's just what does it mean to break cycles, or like what does it mean to like because people have trauma, and I think like not everyone recognizes that. So I think there's a lot of self awareness happening, and it's like, oh, well, then what are other things that we can do to support like each other instead of just woo capitalism.
0: I don't want to like volunteer people what to do but for folks who like don't want to have kids they could and if we have this kind of like decentralized commune model or, or not not decentralized commune but non nuclear family commune model man the, the language around this will be tricky for me you you let me know if it sounds uh, icky what I say but like childless couples or childless people being like the aunties and unkies and, and whatever the gender neutral term is for for that. Um, for, for like, people who do have kids. It'd be like, okay, we don't have the cost of having to raise bare children, so we'll help out and, like, take care of yours and whatever, and we can have that village thing. Is there a name? Is there a word for, like, a gender-neutral term for aunt-uncle thing?
1: I don't know. I was like, I've seen uncle, like, it, like, the spelling's different, oh.
0: right?
1: Um, or, like, I know this um, one of my... I was like, it's weird to like say who are, who's my friends or people that I just know. But an acquaintance from my high school is like Filipino and non-binary. I think they like came up with a term on their own that was like gender neutral for them, but also used uh, Tagalog. So Tagalog. So I was like, there's spellings.
0: Yeah. For different languages. Yeah. I would love to know what that, what they came up with for English. I think <laughs> uncle would be, would be funny Um or like. Parent sibling because they are the parent sibling. So, yeah. So with uh the topic that you did for for Rad Cafe, or at least like um put a spotlight on, was Kim Bu- um, can Buddhism coexist in a communist Asia or Southeast Asia, whichever, however you want to like focus it. You don't you don't have to like present like an essay or book <laughs> report on this. We we're just kind of like talking about what what kind of th- questions came up for you. What kind of also um for the listener for listeners. I also brought in my friend Ung or An, who is a Vietnamese. Dude, who is a big scholar around Buddhism and communist or communism and leftist leftist discourse um for like a meeting between me and Delphin to talk about this stuff. and we can just start off with like what kind of things came up. Why did you decide this topic in particular or land on it?
1: Yeah, so this topic kind of like stems from um, when I was in high school, like before. I went to college, right? I was, I think I was dabbling in like, what does communism look like? I feel like I've always known as communism to be like this big bad, right? To American democracy, the big scary. Um, so, but I was like generally interested because like I love knowing my mom's history or like knowing things about my mom, even though she's very, very secretive. I'm sure she's a Scorpio, has a Scorpio sign somewhere. But I did an essay. But my essay in high school was very much rooted in, like, a lot of white perceptions of how communism exists within Asia and, like, kind of the spheres of influence kind of thing where and didn't really, well, it because it was a religious, um, yeah, world religions, like, s- study. That's, like, kind of, like, the focus of what I wanted to be. It ended up being more of, like, a history paper. And I think that's why I was, like, I don't really see the connection, like, Yes, it currently exists but then I never really I think like deep dived as a how old was I like 16 (laughs) as a 16 year old like what does it mean to be communist or like what is communism and then how does that impact nation building so that was kind of like our topic for that time or within Rad Cafe I think for me like exploring that again as someone who is more left-leaning right I feel like as a high schooler I was like Kind of left, like left-leaning, but more liberal, like centrist to liberal. And now I'm just definitely like, woo! I was like, I have thoughts. I don't know where I am on the left, but I'm like, I have a lot of thoughts, and it's so interesting. Um, Like I've had like Democrats tell me they're like, ah, yes, I'm a leftist, and I was like, okay. I was like, that's a fun joke. Um, Yeah, just wanting to explore that more and. I think a lot of questions that came up for me was, like, how does nation building impact um, Buddhism? And like, how central was Buddhism in Southeast Asia? Because re- as that religion has existed, right, coming from South Asia, specifically like India, right? And that, or India and Nepal, like Nepal area, like, North. I was like, South Asia, as it, I was like, maps are weird. So like South Asia, but like Northern South Asia. Um, and like, Buddhism and Jainism, and like coming, like, I say stemming from Hinduism, but it's not really stems from Hinduism. They all kind of existed at the same time. I think that's like another white way of thinking of like Buddhism is a stem it stems from Hinduism, and it's like not really. But yeah, Buddhism as it traveled throughout Southeast Asia and then eventually East Asia, right? Where understanding like what is the difference between Mahayana Buddhism and like what is the difference between Theravada Buddhism, how does Buddhism kind of is influenced by the animistic religions. And I say animistic, which is just like another like archaeological term, is like basic religions, where it's just like religions that existed in an area before, um, as just like simple gods, right, or like simple spirits. So having a lot of that combined with Theravada Buddhism, what does that look like in both in Southeast Asia, specifically like Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam, where I would say like Laos and Cambodia, as I knew it, were kind of like very similar in terms of their religion, I guess like religion updates. (laughs) I was like 2.0, (laughs) 1.0, like they're not really updates, but just like religious evolution of Theravada and animistic religions. And then Vietnam where also has Theravada Buddhism, but also largely influenced by Mahayana Buddhism, which is more, I would say, like philosophical in a way. Or like, there's a lot of teachings behind it. You find a lot of Mahayana Buddhism in East Asia, specifically like Japan or China um, or Korea. But I think for me, understanding what what is the role that Buddhism plays, and then why is it so important, and why do, why can't it still exist in a communist Asia? Because we saw like the Russians, or we saw con- communism coming to Southeast Asia. I say we, the U.S. <laughs> would see it right, and like, well, there's the influence of China, and then China. There's this idea that, like, no religion exists in China, which is not true. Religions exist in China, depending on where you are in China. China is a very big country. <laughs> um, and then how that impacts Southeast Asia, right? And that, but, like, a lot of people practice Buddhism still, right? And, like, there were lay people, there's was Buddhists, um, there are monks and, like, nuns, and they still come from those countries. And then, and communism was just kind of, like, surrounding them, right? But it wasn't. I think what Americans were thinking where it was like, it was choking the people, it was harming the people, right? It was actually supporting them in a way because it was a part of the, like it was already a mainstay of that culture. So like, why would it be taken away? Like there wouldn't be an absence of it. And I think a lot of the conversations that we had with On like kind of reflected that or like either supported it. And then also like, we're also having conversations of like, yes, this can exist, right? Especially because it's a smaller uh, country, um, and these countries were also, like, colonized, right, by the, so specifically Laos and Cambodia and Vietnam were colonized by French people, right, so white people. And then having communism introduced kind of, like, seemed like the revolution that was needed to just be like, hey, we don't want to have this dependency, or <laughs> I say dependency, we don't want white people here, right, we don't want to be colonized and treated as products and, like, lesser beings. That was, like, I think the shift and having the conversation with Honors, like, yes, Buddhism and communism can exist if we think of communism as kind of like the socialist, right? Like going back to like, what is the core to communism? What makes communism communism for like on a human perspective or level, instead of just what we know as communism with a, like the, as Mark like Marxist communism, right? Where it's like very much like, you need to know the Marxist, like you need to read the communist manifesto and you need to know all of these like dude bro things, right? Like white anarchists and like, I mean, white people love to co-opt, I think, like, communism, as well as just other, like, religions and, like, philosophical ideas, like, love to co-opt it and, like, manipulate it in a way that helps them, but not really, like, the larger people or, like, the larger social class, right? Because, like, who is them? Them <laughs> is a very subjective term. So I think that's what I think we learned a lot um, with that conversation with on of, like, how do we, I think, differentiate and then know where it can apply and what can be applied to have like a better nation state, right? And then like what can that nation state look like as it navigates other nation states that have different political ideals, right? I think Tree you brought up like can we have an army? Like Buddhism in an essence, right? Or how white people perceive Buddhism is and like it's true within Buddhism, like you want to be as like pacifist as possible. But, like, recognizing that we live in a world that pacifism isn't always going to be ideal, right? So what does that look like for Buddhism when you can be, like, the idea of being reincarnated, right? You can be, being a Buddhist, right, or being a monk, when you are the Buddha, you reach that enlightenment. That's that's just all that means, right? I think people have this idea of, like, oh, you're a Bu- you're the Buddha, and, like, the Buddha is one particular person, right? And it's the OG Buddha, but, like, Buddhists or monks can be Buddha as well. So like it's mostly when you've reached enlightenment and you reach enlightenment and then you come back down to earth to like continue that practice or continue that teachings right those teachings right and sometimes violence like is going to happen what does that look like when you have to kind of put that aside or disavow right for that practice or religion at the moment do what's necessary to protect your people because buddhism also is like you need to protect people like death suffering is inevitable right that's part of the dharma and the four noble truths right like these things are inevitable, life is inevitable, violence is also inevitable, how do we kind of balance all of that while we're also building our community or building our nation, so that's kind of a large conversations that we had, sometimes it got a little pessimistic, um, as I think like politics tends to be, right, like there's this idea of lack of hope and lack of wanting, or <laughs> I was, yeah, lack of hope or like just uh, what is I. Deal or what can be done within our lifetime, and then once you have that recognition that not everything can be done within our lifetime, whether it be because of climate change or whether it be because of power-hungry people, like that gets really sad. But then having that like critical help, with, like, well, I can idealize and maybe put into practice these things, right? I think Vietnam and like Laos kind of do post the Vietnam War, since the U.S. quote-unquote loss. I've, had, <laughs> I'm like, I still get tripped up. Where um, some people in the U.S. are very, like, very much like, oh, we won the U- the Vietnam War, and I'm like, where, <laughs> where in your white savior- saviorism did you think that you won the Vietnam War? But I was like, who really won the Vietnam War? <laughs> in terms of like the violence and people dead, but that's me. <laughs> I'm also anti-war, but also understanding like violence does happen. But
0: so long as resources are scarce and fear is a very powerful tool, violence will exist for for a while (laughs) Um, right (laughs) uh, all the things that you're pointing that you're bringing up are that's still even a layer of how deep it can get in terms of like trying to dovetail buddhism and communism outside of like the the western uh, european kind of viewpoint of like marxist communism versus like the more what sounds like localized or one thing you talked you brought up was the idea of like the there are warrior monks. Is that what Ung called them, or on he he said that there are monks that were assigned to be to defend and to also be conscripted, or, or be like other governments or like other like gov- uh, peep states in the regions that were near these monasteries. They could like hire the warrior monks for their own. Is, is that what happened? I I I forget. But um yeah, mm-hmm. okay. And but the the task of the warrior or the the sacrifice of the warrior monk is that they couldn't become Buddha. They they had to like give up that that karmic thing. You can put words to it. Um, so that so that the people who do go on that journey can become Buddha, and they uh, have to fulfill this the the need to defend the those those monks who are on their way to becoming Buddhas B- Buddhas. Which is like kind of not clear in in people's conceptions of Buddhism. That's like everyone does this thing, but no, there are sacrifices that are very um, fundamental to the uh, the epistemology of the, the belief system. Of like, there is sacrifice. No one, not everyone. It's not like everyone gets a chance at Nirvana or or whatever. People do need to. And I wondered like what level of I don't know. Is is there is there elements of hierarchy there? Is there what what? Compels. I don't know entirely, but it, m- it might suck if you're a warrior monk and you're like, I want to be a regular monk or a Buddha monk, but now I got to do this, and it's like, tough luck, kid. That's life. That's suffering. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is suffering. No, <laughs> I think that's the whole like. It depends on like how deeply entrenched you are. I say entrenched, like it's a bad thing, but like how much of the teachings that you fully believe, right? I personally believe, like, yeah, there is like a cycle. There is like an afterlife. The afterlife looks like to me being and maybe less depending on my karma, right? And like who perceives this karma, right? The karma as defined by like your personal values as well as just like the community values, right? Of like what is good, what is bad. Um what is harm, what is violence. I feel like that's a little individualistic, right? To think about like to be like, "Well, I wanted to do it this way," right? Instead of and that's not to say like you can't be thinking about yourself or you can't process your feelings, but then it's like there's the understanding of like, will you train? Because the monks that are kind of like the warrior monks in a way, right, have also trained for that. And like, have that understanding of like, okay, I took on the spiritual journey, the spiritual journey, depending on like what can come, right, depending on the violence that I enact. But if I stay true to my values, right, and like continue to practice, like I can come back as like, not like a better person, but like can that cycle of like what i originally intended in my previous lives there's also patriarchy in buddhism a little bit where it's like women are kind of seen sometimes as less than so but i don't think that's as true i also am like reflecting on my western view of buddhism and like my actual experience with buddhism and like the nuns to me like are on par with the other monks um sometimes I think there's this perceived idea that like if you're a woman it's like less you're seen as lesser as a woman so you have to you want to be reincarnated as a man right and like I think there's also that perception um whether it be like because the original buddha was a man right so like if you want to reach enlightenment you want to be a man as well which like for some people may be true I was like for me personally I don't think it's true um but there's also like who perceives who gets subjected to that what does the large community think about? But yeah, does that make sense?
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. It does. Uh, at least to the point of gendered stuff around, uh, yeah, the Buddhism. And I'm looking through the notes of which there is a lot. And when we <laughs> had a conversation with uh, on about a month and a half ago, like there's there's a lot and I'm like, it's, it feels very complicated, right? Or I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts around that? Like just the sheer volume of stuff that we talked to him about, or he told t- t- shared with us.
1: Yeah, no, it was definitely a lot to process, especially just like the epistemologies of a lot of it, right? So like the epistemologies of like religion, and how does that coincide with the ideal with ideologies? Because and another takeaway I think is like. Can communism exist can communism coexist with Buddhism mostly in only Southeast Asia, right? I think was the large takeaway. Um, I feel like I'm repeating myself. Because like if you were to replicate that in the US or like replicate that in a other country outside of Asia, Buddhism wasn't like if we talked about like Central or Latin America, right? Where like Buddhism isn't a key aspect of their like nation building pre-colonialism right so like is that even possible or will that just take a different form and we see like communism existing in cuba what does the nation building look like behind there right and what are the core values there
0: Mm -hmm. yeah the the, uh, this buddhism is seems like to an extent a a very regional thing because then it just transformed to something different in other parts of the world even if like other parts practice communism in one way or another but So if if it is like kind of very region locked, so to speak, asking the question if whether Buddhism and communism can coexist, the impact of that question can only go as so far as Southeast Asia. Do you think like if we if there was some kind of like resolute resolving dialogue around like can these things coexist that it can affect other parts of the world? Or do you think it like, yeah, it'd be pretty limited to, to Southeast Asia or Asia?
1: I think it goes back to, like, what are you taking away from Buddhism and, like, whether you're doing the hippy-dippy version of Buddhism as teachings, right, Uh, for, like, and this is the thing where, like, I think we talked about, like, can white anarchists, right, potentially implement this, which we're I think we're all, like, not really because they, the organization around it and also, like, it's not core to their beliefs and values, because I think An brought up a really important point of, like, how much cult- colonization has impacted what we didn't touch on or like didn't touch on as much in that conversation was like how does social class kind of impact that in terms of communism because communism is very much rooted in social class right but then we talk about i guess the region specific of like southeast asia where there like is some social class difference but not as much or not a large disparity as we see in the west and i say the west and like the u.s european countries right if we theorize right having not not Buddhism specifically, but maybe other religions or like core religions that were pre-colonial and have that kind of mix with, I say mix, and then have that along with communism as a form of nation building, I think would be key to kind of just like the revival of, either revival of socialism or the re- revival and like stability and sustainability of that, I think, ideals within that country or nation, if that makes sense. Yes and, where it's like, Yes, Buddhism is really specific to, I think, like Asia, specifically like South Asia and Southeast Asia and parts of East Asia. We also have to consider like Japan was also really annoying and also colonizers like Chile or like other small like Latin American countries. I'm like, I don't want to pathologize and talk about other people. (laughs) There's a large push for socialism within those countries, right? Where it's just like because of social class and care, right? we've seen such large disparities when there is foreign influence. Like how do we, one, either get rid of that foreign influence or like have limited foreign influence, and then how do we kind of like not start over but then go back to what community values are? And those community values, I feel like, are inherently communist and socialist because it's like how do we care for each other? It's like take back what our production is, like take taking the means of our productions. <laughs>
0: sounds like we'll need a class of warrior monks for for um <laughs> <laughs> right like whether whether there's like a dharmic or a karmic dharmic component to like i'm trying to map way too much together right now i'm I'm just thinking like the vanguard like the lenins and the whatever they're like the ones who are supposed to become Buddhists and we're supposed to like protect them and then you have a bunch of warrior monks who are like meant to sacrifice themselves in the name of the the nation or something am i i don't know
1: <laughs> sacrifice themselves for the greater good I mean I was like yes it's a form of sacrifice but also it's like goes back to like hopefully future things will be better and I think that's like the going back to the critical hope piece right of it where it's like I'll do this thing now it may seem pessimistic now but then eventually right I'll see us I'll be in a place or be in a space where we don't have to continue to do this
0: yeah there's a lot of faith that you got to put into the leaders or the the monks uh that are telling you like to, to trust them in this vision because we're not because because if we're trying to map if we're mapping buddhism into a like outside of its traditional yeah, epistemology or, or or practice of like you have the monks here and then you have like the warrior monks here the warrior class if we're trying to map it out elsewhere it can be hard because like in other countries they're not like strictly following that practice and they can like use Use it to be like, like the U.S. Oh, we're sending soldiers to Afghanistan. so like, we can spread democracy. Oh, you're working for this nonprofit for the greater good, so you better ex- allow us to exploit you and your labor. It's like this greater good narrative can, outside of like this Buddhism's traditional thing, is very risky.
1: Yes, it can get culty real fast. <laughs>
0: yep. So, yeah, we don't need to resolve this whole thing. We're not. If we brought. On onto this thing. I'm sure this would be another hour and a half long of really (laughs) good stuff.
1: Oh, my God. What was it? I think we were, like, scheduled to talk with On for, like, an hour maybe, right? And then it ended up being, like, two and a half hours (laughs) to three hours. And I was like, this is really good conversation. I have a lot to process now.
0: He's truly an encyclopedia. And and not just, like, straight facts. Like, he, he knows how to, like, weave it all in and out. And it's just... a a real experience what are kind of feelings about like the current state of politics what kind of do you have any longings for southeast asians in relationship to politics when you look at southeast asian peoples right now in the u.s or in their nation national regions do you feel like there are things that you want for them like want for so that they can protect their communities better like in in their relationship to to governments and other groups outside of themselves and themselves.
1: I think this is like a kind of two-parter, right? Because I think of the Southeast Asians that I know, and it's like they're either also migrants to the U.S. or they've been in here, been a, been in the U.S. for a while, right? Um, like family descendants. And I feel like the Southeast Asians, and this is speaking like coming from like horizontal, right? For other Southeast Asians in the U.S. that are have been in the U.S., grew up in the U.S. their whole lives. I think about like longing to be more actively engaged, and what is it mean to both have that self-awareness of proximity to whiteness but also have solidarity to not denounce it but work on it to be better I think because far too often I am having conversations about anti-blackness and what is the responsibility of Southeast Asians as we're navigating politics right and like not to make it an Us versus them kind of thing, which I feel like happens so easily because that's easier for people to do and like like propagandize, I guess if that's the word. And like I've had conversations around anti-blackness like maybe five years ago with um, other Southeast Asians, and they're just like, "Well, I don't understand why I can't do blackface," and I'm like, "No, don't do that, right? Because it's not in the best interest for any of us." But then like five years later, where they're doing more, I think understanding um, of just like, oh, this is an issue, right? And I don't know if it's because of the social uprisings. I was like, I say there's always been social uprisings, but the most recent social uprisings, right, of like demanding justice and justice also looks different for other people. But how do we have justice? How do we be in solidarity and not just focus on ourselves? I think that's also a tendency to be very individualistic with our identities and be like, well, I just want to focus on me and like my family. And it's like, you can do that and other things like there's more to this conversation. So I think that's a longing for me. And then I guess for like Southeast Asian migrants or like, that are coming to the U S or Southeast Asians that are like, go back and forth. I think the recognition that like racism looks different or impacts you differently. And just like that intersection of also facing xenophobia. Right. And, not only just thinking about yourself, I think that's another thing that I've come across, and I don't know if this is coming off as projecting because my mom is one of these people, and then I end up projecting on other <laughs> migrants that are like Southeast Asian. That I'm just like, you're just like my mother, but I also don't want to do that because it's harmful. But it's just like the recognition that like if you're gonna date a white person, right, or try to get like um either the citizenship, it's like what is what is the critical thought behind having that conversation or like that you're having within yourself at the end of the day, I think just more self-awareness and critical thought of like, how are we engaging with our communities and within ourselves? Cause I feel like I'm someone that's always just like having these conversations. And then sometimes I go to existential dread, but you can also cut that out. <laughs> but I think that's just a lot of my longing is just like having more of that self-awareness and recognizing those learning edges. I think that's a large aspect or a large thing that i see within the southeast asian community where i think that we've kind of just been drained or militarized in a way to be the model minority myth and just do the work but then not recognize that the work that we are doing can also be harmful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Duffin and i just shot each other some thumbs some double thumbs up. <laughs>
1: just awkwardly (laughs) like woo. (laughs) that was a long time or like that was a long way of like consistently repeating myself sometimes I get circular but
0: I think a new thing a a new negative value that you offered in what you said is the uh, this internal search or this internal detangling from of of, like the things that have been poured into us as Southeast Asians and people in general but Southeast Asians what kind of values and stuff that we just kind of operate by default and then like in defaulting we don't ever like challenge ourselves internally enough we just kind of keep accepting external inputs and then like treating those things as the way things are and by not like doing that internal detangling we don't push and we don't like try to explore
1: it's like yes and i mean i think because we're not like we're not fully white or get perceived as white exploring is a different term right as opposed to when systems or institutions say explore and i'm like Ugh, what does that mean for you <laughs>
0: yes so if it's an internal exploration where you're not like encroaching on someone else then it's fine so like internally exploring where do you feel if you were to start asking yourself hard questions where does the stress start to rise up where do you start to feel tension and we don't because so many southeast asians already like deal with so much tension at without having to think (laughs) like why would we want to like add more onto that but Unless we do, unless we do that internal work of like asking ourselves, okay, maybe this default mode isn't helpful. What is the alternative? But sometimes there are no alternative. Well, there's not a clear alternative. I'm not gonna say there there are none, but the alternatives are either very difficult or um, they're not clear. And then we feel more helpless, more alone, (laughs) more other things, other feelings. But then it doesn't end with just feeling those, like knowing that you feel those feelings. It's like sitting with those feelings and like what does it mean for me to feel this way? What kind of relationship do I have to these feelings of helplessness and loneliness and, um, otherwise, and then somehow turning that into uh, like a stronger relationship with yourself that doesn't require someone else to tell you like, Oh, if you feel this way, you should do something else. You should like work it off or get money. So you can like buy, buy something to soothe your feelings or something. Cause that's like the solution that gets fed to us. Um, anyhow for the most part even as as we suggest to like do that internal work we're going to end up with feelings that feel like there's it's a dead end but then having a relationship with those feelings in a healthy way and that gets into a whole nother conversation that only i've only been starting to get into myself with like therapy and um, doing other kind of like self stuff self-work stuff um that Man, Asians have only started to get talk about mental health recently, too. Like, we we barely know how to, like, talk about having healthy relationships with our emotions and stuff, much less, like, turn that into a strong foundation for political action. Okay, I'll pause.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no. And I think that's why, like, Rad Cafe is, like, a super fun place to be, or at least, like, when we had these conversations, right? Like, what does it mean to, like, have similar feelings or have gone through something similarly? And then unpacking those emotions, right? Or like, what does it mean to have this mental health, like these mental health struggles, right? Because the these mental health struggles are a product of the capitalist, right? The, like, capitalist, racist, like all of these patriarchal, all these things, right? That are impacting how we move around the world. So it's like, yes, and, and it's like, it's funny because, um, right, where it's like, mental health issues is seen as like a very Western thing. And that's why I think a lot of either Southeast Asians or East Asians are just see- like, I'm going to say Southeast Asian. Cause that's my experience of like, it's seen as a Western thing. And like, but these things have existed and like care for people within these communities have existed, but it's usually, I think, couched within what does it mean to take care of yourself? Or like my mom personally took me, she's like, you seem sad let's take you to a Buddhist so they can like talk to you about your like life ailments and struggles. Right. And like that was definitely more helpful to me when I was a 15 year old, as opposed to like me going to a white therapist and I'm like, well, these are my struggles. And then I'm not understanding race or like all of these other cultural things that go behind why I'm potentially impact being impacted. Right. So yeah, I think it's also just therapeutic in a way. I mean like the stars, astrology is therapeutic. I was like, Astrology, I feel like, is therapy, but you're talking with the stars, and then, like, I think this rad cafe, or like at least um, having our like gatherings um, online. It was nice to like know that there are other people that feel similarly, or like have faced similar situations, and it's just like, okay, thank goodness I'm not the only one that's like faced or like talking about this within my friend group, Um, because I feel like I'll talk about these things with my like not not Southeast Asian friends or like. Even if I, because I, I have a Filipino friend, and like their experience is a little bit different than like Southeast Asia, what was formerly Indochina, right, and like the colonization aspect behind that. So, yeah, it was just like nice talking to people, and it was just like let's go on a rant about how bad this is.
0: <laughs> Collective rants, or or knowing that you can trust someone to to create to to rant with, like that's a powerful. That can be very powerful because it remind the thing that I said to my friend the other day. I was kind of telling her something that I I feel like I can't I don't feel safe talking su- saying to other Asians. Um, and I'm not gonna say it here because I don't I don't feel safe talking saying it out loud, but I trusted her, is to not feel crazy. And I know that word comes with a lot of stigma, and I and maybe I'm overstepping my bounds and using it with myself, but there are times when I do feel like I cannot some thoughts that I feel like I can't share with people, um, I feel super alone. I feel like super so sometimes I feel like the word crazy. Sigma, I, I feel like sometimes it gets to that extent of like i don't know if i'm just make believing things in my head to like do whatever maybe I, I won't use the word but i do feel like super lonely and super like ravaged inside for not being able to like have someone to connect with and then oh great i have this person to say this thing to and they they aren't treating me badly um or, or responding negatively and so i hope rad cafe is is that you can be around people and then like they're like affirming you and they're like oh shit um this isn't just me. I am. I'm not just making things up in my head. Like other people feel this way too, and not feeling whatever substitute for for the the c word. Um, it, it's great. It, it gives you. There's hope in it. There's feelings of belonging, um, and yeah, the the mental health thing being like a Western thing, and then you, your mom bringing you to like, what whether there whether there is like a a resolution that you that comes that is provided for your mental health circumstance there is the element of like oh i'm getting brought to like a um a tradition of my homeland to like address this sort of thing which gives you a sense of like i don't need to just seek resolution through like western capitalist whatever for for and and there there is something from that even if there is no solution um or resolution
1: yeah and i i think there's a thing right where like we tend to gaslight ourselves right as people of color um just, like, racially gaslighting, I think especially Southeast Asian folks, like, racially gaslighting ourselves, because it's, like, this perpetual cycle of, like, well, did that really happen, and, like, I'm not the typical East Asian, but that, I say typical, quote unquote, right, but then, like, I think that does lead to this kind of, like, delusion, right, of, like, what am I experiencing, and is that real life, or am I just hyper-perceiving something, right, so there are things to that, and there's truths to like yes and everything or truths to what you spoke to.
0: And I think the underlying truth that you said earlier that a lot of our health, our health circumstances, our mental health circumstances are very likely, the epidemiology of our mental health is usually capitalism, right? Or or like the exploitation of people's and the hierarchies that, that subjugate people based on whatever markers of identity. Um, And that gives, once you like are able to tap into your feelings of like, get, get to the point of like, you're not trying to solve anything. You're just trying to think, where did these feelings come from of feeling like hyper perceiving things, um, tension, stress, loneliness, otherwise, oh, it's probably become because like capitalism says we are only good if we're individuals, like trying to climb on top of each other in this rat race and only producing. Um, And like, once you tie the, not the, the thread lines between like your emotions and that, Oh, sh- oh, oh! It's um. Also, I just realized it's time for you to leave too. Okay, let me type. So, so basically, yeah. Hopefully, our Southeast Asians, we can we can be in touch with our emotions so that we can criticize those things. Um. Well, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks so much, Delphin, for 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 this time and your energy. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts with us?
1: Yeah. No, I. Uh, I just feel applications ha- late, so I'm like, we'll see if I get it accepted. Um, but it was like super I think it was super fun to just like read people's um, and like this whole experience has just been like super. I love learning whether not so much in academic space but I think I like learning from other people a lot so or just learning about myself in addition with other people (laughs) Um, and especially if people are open to that so I think this experience with Rad Cafe and like Seed um, just like has been super fun. I don't know. I just I like making connections with people, and that's my key takeaway.
0: Hell to the yeah! And I hope audiences, you are inspired by this to make connections with people at a political, emotional level, and all those deep things. Um, with that said, I'm gonna stop recording, and we'll just say bye to everyone until the next until next time. So, bye, audience. Bye. This ventry and Dolphin.